is this command Jesus gave the man to sell everything? Is that a command for all Christians or was it just a command for the one man? That's a significant question we need to ask and it'll change how we understand the passage. If you, if you say it's universal, then effectively every Christian has to sell all they have, give it to the poor in order to follow Christ. But I think that we have every reason to think that's not the case. I mean, let me, let me say this first. If you're a Christian, you should be willing to do that. Like that should be like, absolutely, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. No questions asked. You want me to sell all I have? I'm going to sell it all right now uh, and give it away. Whatever you want. That should, that's not the issue here. It's not as though I'm like, I have to fight so we can keep our stuff. But rather, I want to understand scripture and the call of Christ to each of us individually. So note a few things. Peter who is uh, one of the apostles, he had, after he started following Jesus, he still had a house. Him, him and Andrew have a house in Capernaum. It becomes kind of Jesus's like headquarters when he's in Capernaum, but it's still called Andrew and Peter's house. It's their home. So he also still had a boat in John 21, three, long after he's following Jesus for years, Jesus dies, the resurrection has happened. And then Peter's there fishing. He's got a boat, he's got fishing tackle. These are things that he would have sold if he was supposed to sell everything to follow Jesus. What Jesus wants is full commitment, not necessarily for everyone to sell everything they have, but he wants us to be fully and totally committed to him. Everything I do have belongs to him, whatever he wants me to do with it. That's the natural uh, response of the heart to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I think. Levi, we read about Levi. He's a follower of Christ, one of the, the disciples. He's, he has a house and he's throwing a feast and he's, he's hosting a feast there. He's not selling all he has and giving it away, he's, but he's using all he has for the glory of God. Jesus and the apostles actually depended on the ongoing support of followers. These, these are women in particular that we read about who still had their jobs and still had their wealth. And then they would give some of it to help support the work of ministry that Jesus and the disciples were doing. And we read about this in Luke 8. And my point here, as I go to the passage, is that these women, um, then we'll get a list of them, and then that they were continually supporting Christ, that they had to have maintained their money and their jobs in order to continually support ministry. And that was, it's considered a laudable thing. They're not considered selfish because they retained their money. So some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, this is Luke 8, 2 and 3. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, so she's still employed, she's still got that job, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So they still had private means. They didn't sell all and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. They had private means. Um, that I think is is important for us to recognize. We, there's others we could look at. Uh, we, uh, we have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who host Jesus long after they're followers of Christ in their home, which they obviously didn't sell in order to follow him. They host him much later. We have Lydia, who's a seller of purple, who becomes a host of the church. She uses her wealth and her large home in order to house the church and have people gather in her place in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 4, though, we do have a unique circumstance where a bunch of Christians, new Christians, they sell all kinds of stuff, property, lands, all kinds of stuff, and they and they give it to like a communal pot so they can like live like a communal living type experience. And that's not a bad thing. For one, it's not really socialism. No one's making them do it. There's no government mandate. There isn't even a Christian mandate to do it. It's totally voluntary. It was a work of the spirit. And I think it was a good thing. But it was, it was you know, the scenario was so different than modern um, socialism and like that the idea that Christians should all take vows of poverty or something. Like that's just not what's happening here. In Acts 4, what's happening is they gather together. And I've discussed this before, but I'll mention it again because it relates. In Acts 4, they gather together 
at Jerusalem for the feast days. These are Jews who are traveling temporarily for a few weeks at a time. They're going to travel, hang out in Jerusalem, and then go back home. There in Jerusalem, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They get saved. They realize Jesus died and rose, and they want nothing more than to stay in Jerusalem so they can hear the teaching of the apostles to learn more about Christ. So how do they stay in Jerusalem? How do they finance their stay in Jerusalem to stay and, and get discipled? Well, they sell their homes and they do a communal living type situation. So this was totally voluntary. They did it because they wanted to, and it was temporary. It's never normative in the church. We don't see it happening at a regular basis thereafter. Um, so yeah, it's just not required. Okay, if, so if it's not a universal call, then we, we, we naturally move to the next question. If this isn't universal, then why on earth did Jesus ask this guy to do it? Why does Jesus tell the man, sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me? Why does he tell this guy this? And I'm going to give a couple different reasons why I think this is the case. One, because this is a prevalent sin issue in the man's life. I think that's implied. Jesus is based upon what we get from all of the, the teaching of the Gospels and the teaching of the Galatians and Romans. The purpose of the law is to show you your sin. Jesus shares the law. The man doesn't get it. He still thinks he's good. So Jesus picks one sin issue and highlights it. And he does it by asking the man to give up something that he loves more than God. And that thing he loves more than God is his money. So this is his prevalent sin issue. And it's seen in his refusal. He'll actually refuse and he'll turn back sad, really grieved because he just doesn't want to give these things up because that's where his heart really is. So this is the one thing you lack. Jesus is saying, you, you know, in the context of eternal life, here's what you lack. Let me show you your need. And the self-righteous need to see something they lack. For this man, it's riches, uh, his commitment to riches. For Paul, it was coveting. In Romans 7, it's especially coveting that he's like, man, you know, I could try to obey all these rules, but, but my heart covets wickedly. And that awareness that I covet, that I lust, desire after things that I shouldn't, Oh man, it just wrecks me. And so that was an, a, a light bulb moment for Paul. And for, for people who come to Jesus, there's, there's this sin issue that becomes real to them when they're like, it's me. I have sin that I, I cannot come before God in my current state. I am unrighteous. I need, I need grace. I need Jesus. So Jesus here, he's not just telling the man, here's how justification works. He's not doing that. What he is doing is he's taking the man on a journey that, that we're all supposed to go through in life to recognize our sinfulness. This is why the, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't uh, convict us of God's love. Right, Jesus, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of God's love for you. Instead, it says he'll convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come because it humbles us and puts us in that receptive place to the gospel. This man needs to see that he has lack. So Jesus points out an area of lack. Jesus takes him on that journey. So hopefully he'll say, oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, what he's not doing, he's not earning heaven. Jesus doesn't say, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you're going to have eternal life. Actually, he ends it by saying, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Because Jesus is about to go to the cross. And that is where this man is going to discover the rest of the story, where he can get salvation through Christ. So this is like a personalized repent and believe, personalized just for him. And I, I think that's the first reason why Jesus tells the man to sell all he has. The second reason is also for us. It's to teach us and the man, to teach us all, that he has to come to Jesus. And this is profound. This is like where the light bulb moment happens for me personally, and I hope it does for you too. He has to tell the man that the man has to come to Jesus with nothing to offer but a full commitment of his self. He's not offering his goodness. He's not offering his riches. 
He's not offering his wealth spiritually or his wealth physically. In fact, he has to sell everything and give it away to other people. And his requirement to come to Christ is that he comes with nothing. That is the big light bulb moment for me. He, he naturally would have expected to be well-received as a rich, good guy. Jesus, he makes him come poor, totally poor, spiritually and physically poor. He has to come to Christ. Jesus, in other words, he makes the man come as a child. Because in the previous passage, Jesus taught that if you're going to come to Christ, you need to come as a child. And the children come offering nothing. Well, here's these two incredibly contrasting stories in the Gospel of Mark. Children come freely and they're received and everyone must come like a child. Then this rich man comes with all of his, all of the things he has to commend himself, his goodness and his wealth. He's not accepted. He's told he has to get rid of all that stuff and then come to Jesus. How? Just like a child, like he has nothing. And God might ask you to do the same. I don't know. I don't know. He might ask you to give up wealth to come to him, to, to give up a, a, a relationship of some kind, to come to him, whatever it is, if the, the Lord's leading you to give those things up, give them up. Jesus' teaching earlier on is like, gouge out your eye if it's keeping you from the kingdom. You do, to do whatever you have to do. And, and I have a teaching on that. It's not just about physically gouging your eye out. The point is that you'll give up anything in order to know Christ and to follow him. Just like Paul in Philippians, after listing all his credentials in the past, he then says, ah, but I count it all like rubbish, like dung, like manure. It's all just trash to me compared to the excellence of knowing Christ. And he'd lost everything to follow Jesus. So that's not a path of earning our salvation, but it is, it is the idea of coming to Jesus fully committed. Everything I own is yours, Lord, and I offer nothing to commend myself to you. That's the, that's the condition the man was going to be in. Nothing commending him, not his goodness, not his wealth, just a full commitment, a yielding to Christ. And amen, that is how a heart receives Christ. That's why I say in the title of this video or the, or the, the uh, thumbnail that you have to be you have to be poor to be saved and that rich people can't be saved because as it pertains to salvation, you must come and say, Lord, all my wealth means nothing. All my goodness is nothing. My righteousness is filthy rags. I come to you and I just receive. That's it. I offer nothing. I'm only receiving. I don't commend myself to you. You commend yourself to me. And uh, wow. Um, now, um, uh, Gundry, in his commentary on this passage, he says uh, that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions. It gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue that command. And that's something to be, to be aware of. While Jesus may not be commanding you to give up all your wealth, I hope that doesn't comfort you too much. Because everything you own should belong to Christ. This is discipleship. All that I own is his. Everything is his. When I think of how much to give, I'm just thinking how much of his money he wants me to give here and his money he wants me to give there. It's all his in the first place. So yeah, 